You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, division of endocrinology and metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. Dietary supplements and alternative medicines are on the rise. Effectiveness of most of these products has not been demonstrated. What do we need to know to stay ahead of this rapidly growing area? Joining us to discuss dietary supplements and alternative medicines is pharmacist and certified diabetes educator in La Jolla, California, Dr. Candice Morello. Dr. Morello, welcome to Reach MD. Oh, thanks for having me, Steve. Well, let's start off with a definition. What exactly are dietary supplements and alternative medicines? The FDA defines them as vitamins or minerals, amino acids, or what specifically dietary supplements we might be thinking of are botanicals or herbal products that come in the form of either a pill or a capsule or a tablet and you take them just like you would any other medicine, but they can't be marketed as a food. How do they differ from over-the-counter drugs like aspirin? And tell us a little bit where you find them in the store and why they're separated. Well, they differ primarily in the way they are produced and are regulated. The dietary supplements, there's no requirement for any clinical trials before these medicines come to market and before they go to the patient's mouth. Whereas if you have a prescription medication, those drugs are heavily scrutinized by the FDA. They have to have clinical trials and they have to have animal studies, phase one, two, and three trials prior to even being considered for going to market. Actually, same thing with over-the-counter medications. They have to have studies proving effectiveness and safety. Both of these regulations and requirements differ significantly when you're talking about dietary supplements. Dietary supplements require no regulation before they come to market. The only thing now since 2007 that the FDA requires is that companies who make the dietary supplements have to prove that the quality is and ensure quality. These are called current good manufacturing practices. They're required to evaluate the product for identity, purity, quality, strength, composition to make sure that there's not too much of it of the product in there or too little or the wrong ingredient or contaminant. So basically, it sounds to me like they're regulated just how they're produced so that they're as healthy as any placebo, but they're not really regulated in some of the claims that they have? They're absolutely not regulated in, with regard to their claims. That's all they can do is claim a, a structure function claim. They cannot uh, say they treat or cure or prevent a disease, and they absolutely are not required to prove that they are safe before being on the market or that they are effective even for what they claim. You know, I'm not against, uh, you know, these supplements and alternative medicines, but I am quite concerned about the claims and the potential for false claims and the fact that most of, a lot of patients would rather take a natural or herbal remedy than a prescription drug. For example, let's just say their cholesterol, their LDL is high. They, they won't take their statin, but they will take some stuff that they don't know what the heck is in it. Are any of these remedies or supplements effective? Well, I will say that 
One thing as physicians and pharmacists and healthcare professionals, it's really important that we go back to the science and the evidence behind the use of medications. And with regard to some of the herbal products and the dietary supplements, let's just take fish oil, for example, the omega-3 fatty acids. There has been placebo-controlled, randomized clinical trials, multiple ones, looking at the benefits in cholesterol-lowering, triglyceride-lowering, platelet reduction and um, platelet aggregation, specifically with fish oils. So we do have studies that show evidence that these fish oil is effective for these cases. What the ADA recommends and other nutritional groups recommend is that you consume two servings of the fatty fish per week. That's about a gram or so of the fish oil a day. It averages out to about that. If you want triglyceride reduction, it really takes higher. It's about more like three to five grams mm-hmm. um, per day divided in daily doses. And uh, with regard to diabetes, there's another medication that works. And I have to say, there's really nothing that I have found in dietary supplements that actually has proven in clinical trials to reduce glucose concentrations, postprandial concentrations really effectively. But there is something, alpha-lipoic acid, that can be very beneficial in reducing painful diabetic peripheral neuropathy pain. Yeah, and you have to take it in certain doses. And you've told me in, on other shows that uh, you have to make sure you get the right dose. Well, do these drugs have any side effects? Yeah, they definitely, just they're drugs. But they're natural, and you can buy them without a prescription, so they've got to be safe. I know, that's really a misconception. But the thing is, if we respect them like drugs, just like any other drugs, I think people would take them and, and be a lot more aware. Uh, they definitely have side effects. And you can take fish oil, for example. Fish oil, if taken at large quantities, can cause a little bit of bruising. You know, it can cause bleeding, and it can interact it has drug interactions, just like every other drug. It can interact with Plavix or Warfarin, you know, other blood thinners. So you're saying that these supplements can interact with prescription drugs, and so this is what we'll get to a little later about just being aware of these things that your patients are taking. Absolutely. Prescription drugs, they can interact with over-the-counter drugs. Fish oil, large doses of fish oil with even just aspirin can cause bruising or bleeding. Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Stephen Edelman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Candice Morello. We are discussing dietary supplements and alternative medicines. Well, let's talk about what healthcare providers need to know about these supplements and alternative medicines. I think that We all need to get more knowledgeable because the bottom line is this is a billion-dollar industry, and our patients are using these products. We just have to ask, and that's probably the most important thing. So we need to become a little bit more educated. There's a, a resource that I find so beneficial. It's called the Natural Medicines Comprehensive Database. You can buy it in in printed form, but it's also got an online uh, updated regularly form that's just fabulous. It's got evidence-based clinical information on all natural medicines. So you know the things we've been talking about, like side effects, about drug interactions, about safety even, or effectiveness. This Natural Medicines uh, Comprehensive Database delineates out all of those things for every natural product. How important are multivitamins, let's say, with or without minerals and with or without iron? It's difficult for me, even for somebody who has education in nutrition and dietary supplements, 
to look at a meal on my plate and know exactly what percent of iron or what percent of calcium or what percent of vitamin A is on my plate. And so because of that, I think that taking a multivitamin every day along with a healthy diet, you're not going to run into trouble, especially if you don't exceed over 100% of the daily requirements. Well, you just mentioned calcium. I think that's a great example of something that's been proven to be helpful. What are the recommendations for calcium and vitamin D for prevention of osteoporosis or treatment of osteoporosis along with other medications? Well, for calcium, you definitely want to strive for over, you know, closer to a, a gram a day of calcium, and it really should be in divided doses. I think that if you can get the calcium in your diet, that's really the best way to go. And calcium is a little bit easier. You have yogurts and milk products and cheeses. And, you know, of course, you would want to choose non-fat or low-fat options. But that's not as difficult to do. And then if you take a dietary supplement, you just want to make sure that you don't exceed over 500 milligrams of elemental calcium per serving. For instance, maybe at breakfast you would take 500 and then at dinner you would take 500. Mm-hmm. But vitamin D is absolutely essential to take in combination with calcium. It increases the absorption of calcium. Vitamin D, we're also finding that higher amounts are needed, like up to 400 milligrams per day to help with osteoporosis. All right, Candice, let's talk about fiber. That's another important supplement. Fiber, of all the products that are out there, I think fiber is, if you talk about psyllium, is uh, probably the best product that can reduce postprandial glucose concentrations. It basically slows the GI transit. It can bind to fats as well, so you can reduce cholesterol. So if you just have a, a you know about three grams or five grams of fiber with each of your meals, it can have a significant effect on helping with glucose concentrations, post-after-meal glucose concentrations. Yeah, and certainly a lot of our diabetic patients have gastroparesis and problems with constipation, and that that's quite helpful as well. Yeah. Well, what kind of recommendations would you give primary care doctors how to deal with the whole flood of these alternative medicines that patients are taking? Yeah, I think our best bet is getting more information and especially asking our patients so that we, they, we know what they're taking but you know, it can be a little overwhelming when a patient comes in and you say, oh, I'm on five medications, and then you ask about dietary supplements, and they pull 10 more things out of their bag. Oh, totally. It's scary. In fact, most doctors like myself get on to the next issue because we, <laughs> we don't want to deal with it. Seriously. Yeah, I, I understand. I can't even pronounce some of the stuff on that label. Yeah, me neither. So that one reference, that online reference, the Natural Medicines Comprehensive Database, is probably where you're as providers, we will get the best evidence-based information about natural medicine. Well, if a physician suspects an adverse event, what should he or she do? The FDA has a site that patients can call, the physicians can call to report serious adverse events. It's called a MedWatch hotline. And the telephone number is 1-800-FDA-1088. Or there's an online uh, version at www.fda.gov, and you just type in MedWatch, and you can it's a complete a form on the specific dietary supplement and the symptoms that the patients had. Well, for those of us with uh, ADHD, uh, give us a couple phrases to put into Google to get more information regarding these supplements. I would say the NIH has several websites that really describe dietary supplements and can help us educate ourselves. 
If you put into Google uh, dietary supplement and then NIH, that should pull up a website. There's the National Institutes of Health Office of Dietary Supplement, and that's at um, the ods.od.nih.gov. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> There's another one, the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine. That one's a little bit easier. Well, in closing, I think the bottom line is try to type out the name of the supplement and put in NIH, uh, and you might get to a good start. Okay, well, I would like to thank our guest, Doctor of Pharmacy in San Diego, California, and Certified Diabetes Educator, Dr. Candice Morello. Dr. Morello, thanks so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. Oh, Steve, thanks so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. Daddy, what are you reading? I'm reading about something called GLP-1. Is it a robot? No. (laughs) GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism. Its multiple actions are critical to glucose control. Huh? Uh, Okay. Well... GLP-1 works in a glucose-dependent manner. It stimulates the beta cells in your pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibit the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. It also helps regulate food ingestion by slowing gastric emptying in your stomach here (laughs) and making you feel full. Like at Thanksgiving? Yes. Um, I don't get it. Is it important? Well, GLP-1 is important because it impacts the multiple systems affected by diabetes. It also plays a significant role in protecting beta cells, a key to slowing diabetes progression. Unfortunately, many people with type 2 diabetes have impaired GLP-1 secretion and impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. Like Grandpa? Yes. And like many of my type 2 diabetes patients. That's why I want to make sure I'm looking at the whole picture in diabetes. Sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. It's important to look at weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction. Impaired GLP-1 physiology is also a part of the problem, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. So, the GLP-1 robot will help you see the whole picture. (laughs) Yes, I guess, in a way, it will. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about GLP-1 and the role it plays in diabetes, please visit novomedlink.com slash DIA.